today I am joined by Shannon Stubbs, the MP for Lakeland. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 27 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by Shannon Stubbs, the MP for Lakeland. Thanks for being here, Shannon. It's great to have you. Hey, yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. No problem. Why don't you start by... all the work you do. <laughs> Thanks. And why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, what would you like to know? I have... Uh... I represented the riding of, of Lakeland <laughs> since 2015. That's when I was first elected. And um, I grew up in the constituency about uh, about an hour west of where I live now with my husband, who also grew up here. And um, it's a big, big rural riding in sort of northeast Alberta. I often say to people, if you're in, if you're in kind of the northeast quadrant of Alberta, there's a, mm -hmm. an I guess some people consider central, but um, you know there's a good chance you're in or passing through Lakeland at some point. David Yerdega represents the the only riding north of us, um, which is of course Fort Fort McMurray Cold Lake, and goes up to the to that mm -hmm. northern border in Alberta. So, mm -hmm. um, really proud to represent the city of Lloydminster with my Saskatchewan neighbor uh, and dear friend Rosemary Falk, mm -hmm. and um, and then within Lakeland, there's about 52 municipalities. Uh, with 10 Indigenous communities. So um, in normal times, which I hope we get back to sooner than later, and I know many people in Lakeland have been thinking about that, thinking that for mm. a long time, um, you know, we put on a lot of a lot of miles and a lot of hours to get out to all the communities in this riding. Mm. Um, so certainly the people out here, for example, uh, are... Uh, are some of the people who are disproportionately hard hit with the worst April Fool's joke ever of the ever increasing carbon tax? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, that's the thing, right? With the with the large riding, you have Chris Warkington, Arnold Viersen, and David Yurtiga, like the three the three giant Alberta ridings. But going back to the car tax, it's a joke yeah, because and yesterday right, and they're all kind of wrapped around Lakeland. Yeah, we're in mm -hmm. that. Yeah, because you're on the the, the east side, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's yeah. The carbon tax here today went up by eleven cents, so it, it's ridiculous. It's about one thirty here in in the GTA, and it it yeah. just bewilders me how the Supreme Court would rule it constitutional. It's just it's just a money grab. Yeah, well, I uh, you know there were very good, effective um, uh, dissenting opinions. Thank goodness, but. Mm -hmm. I, uh, the, the real fault, of course, is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, and we shouldn't let them off the hook um, just because a, a court made a decision that, that many of us uh, disagree with vigorously. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been, um, it's been very frustrating uh, debating environmental policy with them because exactly to your point, the carbon tax is not environmental policy or effective environmental legislation. Um, it is absolutely just a money grab. You're right, with disproportionate um, negative impacts on people who are poor, the working poor, people in rural communities, people mm -hmm. in uh, northern remote communities, people uh, whose communities depend on, you know, specifically or particularly on like agriculture and, and the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. And the most mind-boggling part of all is that it doesn't have to be a theoretical debate. Like we have a made in Canada uh, carbon tax model that most uh, reflects what the Liberals have imposed. And that's the one that's been in BC for some time. And here I, I wanna say this, the 
provincial BC government has the right to make whatever decisions they want in their province. Mm -hmm. I don't take issue with that. The people of BC can can make that decision. But the reality is, you know, no matter which way you look at it, is emissions have continued to increase there, but costs have increased. Um, the rural economic growth is stagnant, mm -hmm. and there have been major economic car carbon leakage impacts there, for example, like with their cement industry in BC, which used to be done right in their province and now they import um now they import a lot of the cement from the u.s jurisdictions without a carbon tax and i think it is uh pretty despicable to have politicians um exploiting what i believe are people's real legitimate well-intentioned um, and shared frankly concerns about the environment about environmental stewardship about clean air about uh, ha maintaining habitat for wildlife about land, you know effective land and responsible land use about responsible resource development mm -hmm. um, you know about clean water and clean water ways for all Canadians like these are the things that everybody cares about and I think it's pretty gross to see you know liberal politicians saying yeah we care about all these things too and this is our solution the carbon tax which makes everything more expensive for everybody with no evidence to show a corresponding emissions reduction um but we're going with it anyway and anybody who might question this policy like you clearly don't care about the environment it's just mm -hmm. pretty uh, yeah it's uh it's distasteful meanwhile i mean i don't know have these guys yet managed to plant one tree out of their two billion dollar promise yet mm -hmm. or two billion dollar billion tree <laughs> promise yet i'm not yeah, sure no like i planted more lilacs on my farm last year and mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks than i think these guys have managed to get done in, out of the two billion trees they promised yeah uh, and then there's the, like the clean indigenous drinking water too right oh yeah we're gonna give them clean drinking water still nothing two zero out of the two billion trees they promised and you, you look at the conservatives plan like on an environmental policies last election there's ban raw sewage dumping in our lakes and waterways and somehow justin trudeau still wants to go ahead with that so it's kind of funny how canadians think that the conservatives environmental plan is worse than the liberals yeah, and it's um, it's just never borne out in fact. It's never true, right? It's um, you know, the the previous Conservative government on Prime under Prime Minister Harper was the government that, for example, enshrined in legislation the polluter pay play uh, polluter pay principle. Um, it was under the Stephen Harper's Conservative government uh, under which emissions declined in Alberta in Canada mm -hmm. overall for the first and only time. Um, it, you know, previous governments brought in a variety of different environmental pieces of environmental legislation. Alberta is actually a real and substantive environmental leader on all kind in all kinds of ways, um, and and ways that probably would be surprising to people around the country. And of course, you know, have been governed for, for the most part uh, <laughs> in our province with a various variety of conservative iteration yeah. of governments, right? Um, but I think the real, I think why that happens, Aiden, is because my my perspective is that conservatives are focused on outcomes mm -hmm. and focused on results and action. So we tend to be very preoccupied with, okay, we're considering this policy or this legislation uh, because we want to achieve this. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to achieve a certain result. Um, and then we measure the results and then what we want to know that that actually works. Where I find... Um, on the left and i have to say i mean like in some ways i think they're better at this part than we are and and it's successful for them politically mm -hmm. they are more about um feelings and process and 
you know, promises and words, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why they can say all the right things and an everyday Canadian listening to them will be like, yeah, they care about the same things that I care about, so that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Whereas the conservatives are preoccupied with like, well, here's the actual outcome, like this doesn't work, that doesn't work, so we're not doing that because we want to achieve this or, mm -hmm. you know, constantly as you, you being a conservative, probably you, you are amazed at, for example, the scale and scope of um, what will potentially be systemic and permanently damaging, like deficits. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but most people out there, they don't, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, worried about that, or they don't, you know, they don't make the linkage between what uh, government carrying that kind of debt will eventually do in the future, either for their own interest rates, or for um, you know, future governments that then will have to make decisions mm -hmm. um, that usually result in both cutting and tax hikes. Um, and but it's but they hear people they hear like the good words, yeah, um, and sort of the expression of emotions and values, and it sounds good. Mm -hmm. And so I often have thought that that this because I've been perplexed by the same thing that you've pointed out when you actually look at the facts and the evidence. Uh, conservatives in government are generally better on the environment than liberals are. And then exactly to your point, if you actually assess, you know, our campaign platforms and proposals, uh, certainly in the last election and many others, what conservatives put on offer is much more substantive, comprehensive, mm -hmm. um, and feasible than, you know, than the others. But somehow there's sort of still this like chattery classes consensus yeah, you know that we're we have a shortcoming mm -hmm. on this or that or the other thing. It just isn't borne out in fact. Yeah, for sure. And definitely living here in the GTA, living living uh, well, residing next to to liberal writings, there There's definitely a lot of virtue so signaling done on on voters in in those areas, right? J Justin Trudeau promises this, he promises that, and you, you look at coming back to the next section. Well, where, well, where is it? It's it's not there. He, he doesn't deliver on anything except his his tax hikes. And then you, you really look at what, what the conservatives have done. You, Jason, where the previous government, second previous government to Jason Kenney, had a government for 40 years. It was great. But then Alberta, I guess, wanted something new with Rachel Notley. And I guess she was pretty kicked out of there pretty fast, right? Because you definitely majority now. Because Jason Kenney has definitely brought in a lot of great policies to the environment, right? Like you look at back at the coastal gas link, illegal blockades last previous, well, month previous to COVID, and to put on like i believe it was fines for people that's illegally blockaded and illegally i wouldn't say protest i wouldn't really well there was protest but i wouldn't really call it that regarding to to last february but he he just jason kenny and stephen harper have brought in a lot of environmental policies that are, are work for canadians they they help them for their everyday lives you know, here in the gta it's back when or well, we had lisa raid on i believe it was last week and she said because she lives in Milton and such like a rural riding, it, it is next to Toronto almost. It's that Torontonians and, and people in the GTA, they don't realize the, the carbon tax on them because it hasn't affected them during COVID the way that it has others, right? Because you look at, because there's people not driving their kids to soccer or events or they're not visiting family, so they don't really notice it in their gas bills. But now they're starting to, to really get it because Justin Trudeau does want to go after the hydro bills next, right? And seeing as though with the Ford government, he has cut the the GST off hydro bills as well. But that was another thing that Andrew Shear ran on as well. Why why do you think that people are are so keen to to have Justin Trudeau, who just loves to 
take their money away from them. Like it, it, it can be used. Oh, he's promised us that it's going to come back to us in the carpet. It's like that, that doesn't compute with anything. That doesn't even, that's not even logic. How do you, how do you spend money to earn it back? Like, how does that work with people? How do people think that way? Yeah. Well, and to your point on that, to the, the claims about the rebates, being able to compensate, um, it, it, it just, it, it's not true because of the price impact of the carbon tax on everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. Like literally every good and product, um, becomes more expensive because of the carbon tax because of its domino impact all the way down the supply chain and the value chain to get that good or product you know into a consumer's hands in the first place and i think yeah you're right people don't really realize like that's why it's sort of stealthy because they can kind of hide it mm -hmm. and then create a program and say well here we're compensating you don't worry about it um and but it's just not really true in terms of the overall cost impact on their whole lives. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how or why they get away with this, but um, it happens on a lot of things, does it? They say mm -hmm. one thing and then they do completely the opposite, and you know, sometimes seems to me to be a little bit of Teflon. You know, I was asking questions with uh, so many of our colleagues and other colleagues who have been at the forefront of leading this issue uh, before before and more than me um, these issues around the, the uh, allegations of uh, sexual misconduct by the minister's chief of defense staff and mm -hmm. you know the you know to, to look at these guys who since 2015 have been saying that they are um, you know, a feminist government and that they apply this gender-based analysis to everything and to all the things and that this is, you know, such a high priority for them. Well, you know, we don't even need to get into the past part where, um, first of all, just just for so everybody knows, Aiden, to be clear, I, I believe people should get a job because they're the best people for the job. I don't mm -hmm. actually think it should have anything to do with their, their gender or other yeah, aspects of their identity, but actually their capacity and their capabilities. But in any case, as you know, there was a there was this push to have this half um, half the cabinet be women, and then of course only to find out that they actually had like junior positions <laughs> and not very much power, and still a different pay scale, mm -hmm. um, and then a variety of challenges uh, thereafter. Um, two very competent, credible, and I think actually that. You know, this isn't a hindsight comment in terms of um, Minister Philpott and, and uh, Wilson Rabel. They, you know, I could say that many of us, even early on, before all the things that happened, regarded them as, you know, we would have differences in ideological views for sure, mm -hmm. uh, but regarded them as competent, capable ministers and um they were people who really walked their talk because remember the whole thing too about how they were supposed to know, they were going to be nonpartisan and all mm -hmm. that baloney um yeah. well those like those two ministers really i thought for the most part did a good job of just trying to answer questions engaging on the substance all that stuff of course we don't find out later uh the same as what ended up happening with selena caesar chavan um, they tried to go their own way. That wasn't acceptable. And then, and then they got the boot. Mm -hmm. uh, so fast forward to like these numerous issues um, that sort of, I think, betray the lie in the whole feminism thing. And then you have this just this recent example with like this minister, you know, I mean, basically admitting he turned a blind eye. Mm -hmm. 
and, and then you have all these officials coming out and saying like yeah we this is a long-standing issue and and uh it's something that needs to have action on yet these guys get to get away with this you know this sham that they they care so much and are concerned so much about these issues that then they do the opposite on yeah, it is funny with left-leaning parties that there, there's so many allegations and cases of, of rape and sexual assault. Like, you look at, there's allegations in Rachel Notley's office when she was premier. There were some in Kathleen Wynne's. Now there's in Justin Trudeau's cabinet. He's responsible. And Bill Blair for the rape sexual allegations in the COVID hotels as well. And it's so disappointing to hear that. And then Christy Freeland, Patty Hyde, basically said, well, if, if, it, if they weren't there, it would have never happened to them. Yeah, I can't believe you just said that because I just, before you, I was on another call where this exact issue came up and I, you know, I'm going to say this in a, in a very frank way. I thought that the responses to, um, to uh, certainly Michelle Rumpel-Garner's and my call on behalf of conservatives to shut that program down immediately, and there are a variety of good reasons for that, but um, in direct response to those uh, to those allegations of sexual assault, uh, I don't know about you, Aiden, but I felt like the responses from these so-called feminist um, ministers and prime minister was pretty close to the kinds of things you hear now and then about, like, well, why was she dressed that way, or mm-hmm. why was she wearing a short skirt? You know, it was to your point, total victim blaming, like. For them to say, oh yeah, well they uh, they shouldn't be traveling, mm-hmm. to, right? Like that they this wouldn't have happened to them if they weren't traveling. And then on top of that, they all keep talking about the hotel association, like as if it's the hotel's fault. Except of course these facilities, the reality again is mm-hmm. um, they're just completely they actually are completely run by federal authorities, um, by federal contractors with federal standards. And really, in those scenarios, like all the hotels did was provide the properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, they're just going along. Like, mm-hmm. And even today, even put out by the National Post, there, there's been 23,000 Canadian... 23,000 travelers that have been exempt from COVID hotels. And, it, and Justin Trudeau's party made it into a way that they have to pay for it themselves as a loophole. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, this is... And that point is, I think, you know, that's the observation I've had that I think is the biggest problem over the last year is the constant um, inconsistency and uncertainty and then double standards. That has resulted, I think, in an ever-increasing collapse of confidence uh, among Canadians in Mm -hmm. government and politicians and frankly, the public health agency and decisions that are being made and in policies, because um, when it seems like there's no rhyme or reason, and to your point, yeah, there are exemptions from quarantine for, you know, rich American billionaires or from, you know, regardless of how much we love hockey, NHL players, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I think earlier last year, a bunch of pro baseball players got exemptions and, you know, people who are, uh, who have gotten the go-ahead or, or are under the umbrella of essential workers, two people can come to the border, and I know this personally, I've got constituents with this issue, um, literally have been at the same place, work in the same job, come to the border, get different agents, one has to quarantine, one doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, when things like that are happening, plus the 
the exemptions that happen for the rich, well-connected um, elites, then everyday Canadians, like all the rest of us out here, are like, well, how do these things make sense? What is mm-hmm. happening? You know, mm-hmm. and it's not, and it's not a lighthearted. You know, people are. This is. It's not a casual thing. Like these, this inconsistency and lack of clarity is having major impacts on people's real lives and their jobs and their families and their businesses. You know, it's a, it's a schmozzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you really look at, because up here in Ontario, the the Peel region, it's it's on the border to the U.S. And all these migrant workers are granted exemptions who have tested po- positive for COVID. They go out and help farmers with their work while Canadians have to pay thousands of dollars to stay in a hotel when they can just be quarantining at home. And it's such a crap loophole because Justin Trudeau has taken advantage of the COVID so much. You look at when they when the government was trying to the past Serb in the first reading, I believe, and he him and Bill Morneau, the and then the then finance minister, tried to put in the unlimited spending without oversight from from yeah. Parliament. Yeah, and I got to tell you, thank goodness for Pierre Polyev and and a couple of people around the table at that time. They just. Um, I, you know, they identified that and really went to the wall to push back and uh, try to get our other opposition parties on side, who, as you know, aren't always um, fellow travelers with us, <laughs> very, you know, on uh, policies and, mm-hmm. and uh, perspectives, uh, to push back on that total abuse of power, unprecedented draconian measures. But, you know, here we are, like, I guess, I mean, I'm glad that the budget is coming up, but it's been two years. Mm-hmm. How nuts, you know? And, but if conservatives raise that, then the liberals will say things like, you know, well, conservatives don't care about the supports that people need, <laughs> which, I mean, is ridiculous because we actually have been supportive of the the measures, the emergency mm-hmm. measures that have been in place over the pandemic time period. But the other thing that we're saying that the government needs to provide Canadians is exactly as regarding some of these issues that you brought up is clarity and certainty and consistency and Mm -hmm. information, transparency, accountability. And now, of course, you know, we're calling for um, a data-driven, comprehensive um, reopening plan Mm -hmm. that we think it's incumbent upon the the Prime Minister and the Liberals to give now a year in. Um, it's not a crazy thing to ask. The, the UK has done, done such a plan. The US uh, has done such a plan. It, it's not like uh, it's a plan that couldn't evolve. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it can adjust. And, but I think Canadians need to have some uh, confidence or sense of where we're all going here, mm-hmm. um, given the, the I mean, the, the, there has, the last year has caused utter devastation for people um, in many ways, well beyond the health concerns, right? Mm-hmm. You know and, what, even going like, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just <laughs> going to tell you this morning. I talked to a group who are, um, you know, they were uh, they're they are independent sole pri- proprietor like travel agents, mm-hmm. and and um, of course you can imagine their industry has been devastated, and um, they were explaining to me their concerns like lacked a lack complete lack of sector specific support for them mm-hmm. and you know again the budget's coming up soon they don't they don't know whether or not they will be protected they don't know whether or not the support is coming they hate to have to ask for it they said that they said we are like independent individual entrepreneurs like we are by nature people who want to make our own way mm-hmm. so it you know brings us no joy to be you know pleading uh that we need some support and help here 
uh, and you know, many of them said like they didn't know if they were going to make it through Christmas. And so they're in an absolute crisis. Now it happens again. I don't, this shouldn't necessarily be the be all end all, but because of the government we're up, I, it happens that 85% apparently of, um, those entrepreneurs are women. So again, you know, I don't know the government's out there giving speeches about all their GBA baloney and except missing, missing this. And the reality is that what struck me and now is going to haunt me is um, the devast well, not unlike the oil and gas industry, but the devastation that they are facing is a direct result of government policies and rules and restrictions. Mm-hmm. And it's so disappointing to you because coming back to the, the budget, I believe it was $1.8 trillion they're at the other day. That's what I, the number I saw. And I don't know if you would know this, but how the budgets work exactly, but is that the number going into the budget that they're going to present? And, and is that like the, and do they have like in that budget, the exact number they've, they've spent from the last two years? Well, I don't know if you'd know this specifically, but yeah. Um, good point. Yes. It will be interesting to see how they account for the last two years. Sorry, because there's so many, there's so many. Yeah, generally district... the budget. If what you're saying is is the budget generally mm-hmm. like a look forward document. Yeah, and it is. It, okay, but yeah, because yeah. it's it's disgusting to hear that because they over the COVID they they gave a handout to SNC Lavalin. They they tried giving a handout to We Charity. Well, we know how that went, and it's yeah. still ongoing. And it's just coming back to this week. Michael Barrett's trying to depress someone that's not even in the investigation at all. It's not even related it's just a it's a filibuster and it, it's sad to see the ndp flip-flop during the investigation oh well we well we'll get tough with Justin trudeau then they go turn their back turn their backs on canadians and then they go and vote with justin trudeau to to end investigations such as the snc lavalin investigation again last year and it's it is sad to know that in parliament you need at least the the three opposition parties to have a motion against the liberals and it, it it's so disappointing because just as you said, the the reopening of the economy, the an, ep, an economic recovery bill was tried on conservative motion last week, I believe, to try and get Canadians the help that they need, and it, and it was shot down. I believe it was the people that voted in favor was one twenty two. I believe there's two independent members in the whole conservative caucus, and it, it's yeah. just so blatantly disrespectful how just you're all we have canadians backs we support them we're putting coal we're putting vaccines in their arms he's nowhere to be seen he just hides in his cottage only comes to parliament when he has to and then coming back now this easter weekend he's telling canadians to stay home well last easter he said the exact same thing and went in his went and visited his family in a whole different province yes yeah, we all know by now that what's good for the goose is not good for the gander in Justin Trudeau's world. It is, I know, it's just, uh, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, the NDP are interesting because I, um, you know, we, like, our our job is to hold the, the Liberals to account, the government to account. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we have uh, a significantly differing worldviews on a number of issues, but sometimes, um, but then sometimes we, we agree. and But they, um what boggles my mind a little bit about some of their decisions is the liberals are very deliberately and tactically targeting the voters of the NDP and the greens. Cause of course mm-hmm. that's how they did well uh, in 2015. Um, they got a whole bunch of voters who historically would vote for either of those parties to vote liberal. Mm-hmm. And they are, 
you know, they are, they, they, I, I think it is fair to say, uh, are running a, what would be a more extreme left-wing government than, than most iterations of liberal governments in the past, you know? And so I, I, I sometimes am a little bit amazed at the NDP when they, when they prop the liberals up and they do from time to time on some crucial things that to me shouldn't really be an ideological or a partisan thing. It is often like a real, real fundamental responsibility as opposition parties, just asking for accountability or transparency from government for Canadians. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then the, the NDP will prop them up, which is often, I think like not the right thing to do just on substance of whatever the issue is, but also how like, self-defeating on their own part because the liberals are actually targeting your own voters you yeah know? and i, I just yeah. want to like just being... the block just sort of goes whichever way but even often yeah. they prop the liberals up too and so exactly as you said yeah we that's right we put forward a motion had a day of debate calling for um you know federal leadership and guidance on a on a database reopening plan and all of them voted mm. against it yeah some things like being frank here like some jokes in the last couple of years is is definitely the julie payette too as well like coming back to the no confidence vote it was the block and conservatives i think the greens voted with the liberals in confidence i believe and it, it, the green party in my opinion is a joke right because the voters that actually people vote green is because they don't want to vote conservative liberal or ndp it's just like it's basically voting almost like a, a libertarian in the states, right? Because you don't want to vote conservative, you don't want to vote liberal. But then it, it is sad because if I personally, if I wasn't conservative and I had to vote NDP, which I never would, I, I would probably vote as as Charlie Angus for leader. He's like the Pierre Polyev for the NDP, right? Because he he doesn't back down. He, he does. I will give him that. He does get answers. I will give him that. And it, yeah. it's sad to see him prop them up too, right? Because so many NDP, they're you never know what they're what they're thinking, right? Because more well in the last year, the the block have teamed up with the, with the conservative caucus men. It's it's always the NDP, right? It's always the NDP or the block that it's like a balance of power, right? You you have one party here, conservatives are in the middle, then you you need both, right? And it it's just so sad to see that those that those well parties just oh well we're, we're gonna strike a deal so that we don't have to vote this way and believe and to me that that just seems like like a complete joke that 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 you just take something so important for granted right well yeah and to your point about i think maybe i haven't thought about that totally that way you like your great point about especially if you're voting green and probably actually for lots of ndp voters you know, you're deliberately picking an alternative mm-hmm. to either of, you know, kind of the major parties. As a voter, you that's, you know, that's a yeah. deliberate choice you're making. Yeah. I'm sure the last thing you expect is that then those MPs are going to go to the parliament and like basically collude for a lot, you know, a lot of the time with and also prop up, you know, the government that you quite clearly have decided not to vote for, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. It, it is something around here, though, looking at the last election, it was, like, like you said, like, they deliberately, like, like basically almost throw their vote away because they don't, they don't know what to vote because they don't like liberal policies, they don't like conservative, and it, it's just a matter of, because when they put their vote in, it's not as much as they so much care as to what the party does, it's just because they, they just, they feel like their votes almost doesn't matter, right? 
and i don't know that personally i mean i can i imagine some voters would feel that way but the greens looking back here when i when i canvassed with with aaron o'toole it's looking at the different parties well it's it's the policies right what do you want what what do you what's in it for you right because it's the it's the like a constituency there remember it's taxes it's the accountability it's 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 everything right and it just as bob zimmer was saying i believe it was yesterday was it or tuesday you have to really look at and ask people like what do you want to see do you want to see your taxes taxes lowered do you want to see your ta- or your bills lowered as well do you want to see accountability yeah. do you want to see um balanced budgets because when you look at it coming into 2015 i wasn't really so much involved then but it's 130 billion dollar surplus to uh, almost two trillion and probably at least three when the budgets presented a three trillion dollar deficit and yeah. a four hundred billion dollar debt. Like it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's unbelievable. It's also not what they said they would do, and um, like it's extremely risky. I think for people your age mm-hmm. and for future generations. I mean, it's just utterly irresponsible like i i in the end of my life whatever that is might i think you know i would look back on that that legacy and i mean i guess not for me personally because we're fighting tooth and nail and do everything <laughs> doing everything we can for some fiscal sanity but mm-hmm. you know kind of overall like as a system or as an institution i would feel pretty strongly that we fail future generations of canadians leaving them with, you know, an unsustainable systemic deficit, Mm -hmm. which will force their governments into, you know, the hardest choices that governments right now refuse to make. Mm -hmm. And um, I just find that unconscionable. But, you know, it's even worse to, to your point, like, then there's all kinds of spending happening on things that I just don't, they don't reflect the priorities of the people that I represent. And I'm willing to bet they don't reflect the priorities of the people who live around where you do either, you mm-hmm. know, or you have like, I mean, what is the a number now of uh, uh, money that they say they've invested in infrastructure and it's gone. 400 billion, I guess, something around there. And Catherine McKenna didn't even meet the audits the last week yeah. either. Again, for the second time in a, for the second year in a row. Yeah. And like Pierre had said, these guys, nobody's ever managed to spend so much and accomplish so little, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess that would be the one thing. If you had confidence all the time that the government was focusing on priorities, they were focusing on needs, they were delivering on what they say, you know, the things that they say and the values they express, and that the spending was making you know, a real and positive impact and difference in people's lives, mm-hmm. then that would be one thing. Yeah. But unfortunately, that, that's just not what is happening. And um, yeah, I, I find that very difficult to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the last things to touch on is, is definitely the, the out west Western energy, right? You look at, I always shoot into Rebel News, right? And I always... I always perk up to see when he goes up to Quebec. He goes up to Parliament Hill, and it's always the the green protesters, the climate change protesters, and they're out on Parliament Hill. And they're using plastic, like plastics, to like go around. They they have like their huge signs that are made of plastic. They're walking around. They have like these everything that like like our phones, right? They're they're all made from oil and gas. Our clothes, yeah. our materials, our um, 
objects, products, everything's made from gas and oil. And, and Elizabeth May, well, we need to get off fossil fuels immediately. We're all going to die, <laughs> basically, right? right? Did you see yourself be in the plane like last week? Yeah. 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 And yeah. I just looking at that, I, like, I'm just sitting there on my free time. I just pull out my phone. I, I look at that. I'm like, uh, like, I can't even look at how much hypocrisy the other parties commits and yeah. it's just so disappointing to see that how they oh well conservatives are for this and they and they do that nope it that's your party uh, coming back to elizabeth may it is it is funny how she was party leader i believe since the very early 2000s and the ppc has more votes than she does and it is <laughs> very funny that is too so I too have seen those protesters mm-hmm. on occasion, and um, yeah. depending on the my my maybe on my mood, I have engaged with a couple of them. I have seen um, that. <laughs> and I had one conversation with a group. Um, actually, I think he interviewed me right after that happened. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why you're bringing this up. Yeah. Uh, in part, I. Uh, but I. There were some people who were, and there was kids too, and then a couple of adults. And some of the things that they were yelling was about opposing, ending fossil fuels and stopping pipelines to support indigenous people and indigenous communities. Well, and I, I represent 10 indigenous communities in Lake Landa, both Métis settlements in Alberta. You might know it's unique where our Métis people have actually land bases mm-hmm. and are recognized um, in the provincial government as they have been for decades, which is a little bit different than other provinces. And um, so between Métis communities and, and uh, First Nations uh, reserves, there's 10 of them here. And... Um, almost all of them are involved in some way or another with oil and gas and that almost all of them support pipelines almost mm-hmm. all of them have been disproportionately harmed by the downturn in the energy sector which is in part a, a consequence of the you know the repetitive anti-energy anti-private sector anti-resource development bills and laws and um that is very troubling. I, I find that really sad because it's based, like it's just when people say those kinds of things, it's not the reality. Mm-hmm. And it's not the reality of um, the people in the communities that I represent for sure. And um, there's a lot of diversity of views and experiences among the 650 indigenous communities in mm-hmm. Canada. It shouldn't be remotely surprising that that's the case. And it just isn't true at all that mm-hmm. the vast majority of those, you know, those communities and those individuals are um, are opposed to fossil fuel development, opposed to oil, gas, opposed to pipelines. In fact, um, for many of those communities, it's the only thing that offers them extra revenue uh, opportunities and jobs. And with some of the pipelines that have been killed, um, like the Northern Gateway, deliberately vetoed in an order in council by Prime Minister Trudeau, mm-hmm. you know, there were millions of dollars worth of mutual benefit agreements that that went down the drain as a result of that decision with those indigenous communities by the way that he didn't consult in advance Mm -hmm. before he killed that project um and other ones on the line some adjustments that had to happen you know by the time kinder morgan finally said we don't think we can go ahead with tmx like you know get us out of here and then the federal government had to buy it um and i find that really troubling for people i think you know, again, I, I think that they're they're well intentioned, mm-hmm. um, but to see them with all their plastic products and 
all their plastic everything and also saying things that just aren't true in terms of like the lived experience and the reality for example in a riding like this which is an oil and gas and rural riding and has many indigenous communities in it uh you know that's i that's where i do have some trouble with the liberals and the left who also are exactly the same people who talk about like diversity and differences mm -hmm. right but are taking a very homogeneous um view to to people who i think they they you know to indigenous people about whom i think those people legitimately care about and you know legitimately are well-intentioned about but mm -hmm. unfortunately what they're advocating for are measures that um that are not supported universally and mm -hmm. actually that will do great damage mm -hmm. to uh to these communities and to these people yeah just t just touching on one last thing well it, it definitely would be interesting to, to see see what pierre thinks about like all, all these blockades that have happened and you know, i hope that we could get him on here but one day but it it is very interesting because coming back to coastal gas thing again last year like you sent they Justin Trudeau sent Carolyn Bennett out to like all these indigenous communities all uh, uh, uh um um uh, she, she didn't even do anything and she's only talking yeah. with the deliberately talked with people that opposed it because when when Bob Zimmer was on Tuesday he brought in Teresa Tate uh, he mentioned that he brought in Teresa Tate Day to the committee who testified that her community was in favor and 85 over 85 percent of every tribe tribal leaders were in favor of the coastal gas link pipeline and, and carolyn ben just Shiro deliberately only talked to that 15 percent that were opposed in each community and yeah. it, it's so disgusting to for her and just Shiro to leave those people that were in favor that created jobs in their communities out of it yeah and to your point you made a very important distinction i thought earlier when you were talking to differentiate between the protesting and the blockades. So conservatives and I do, I mean, I, I feel, even though I, I, you know, argue with them, <laughs> I exercise my free speech in the same way that I'll always defend their free speech. Like mm -hmm. we conservatives believe in free speech and expression and assembly and, and protesting. Uh, that's an important part of, you know, political and public discourse in Canada, fundamental mm -hmm. to a free democracy. Um, so I think those people who want, you know, want to organize and, and shout their things and wave their signs and no matter if you know what my view is of the position mm -hmm. they ought to be able to do that yeah but um there is a distinction between shutting down a highway you know or a bridge or railway crossings and grinding things to a halt and that being allowed to occur because you know as well as i do that if you and i went out there to do that mm -hmm. and, or anybody like yeah. outside of I, I i what i don't mean you or i i mean yeah. also like a, an indigenous person for some other reason yeah. going out you know or you and i or anybody going out and doing that kind of thing like you would get removed pretty, yeah we'd get right? arrested right and so there is a difference between political expression and protesting which people should exercise mm -hmm. and should do and um shutting down an economy and the other thing i don't know if bob addressed this but my understanding was that there were a lot of people there who actually again also weren't from the area yeah involved in blockades right mm -hmm. yeah there one couple was from ontario another one was all the way from the maritimes it, it, just pull it, coming back to after the 2019 election and going into the first terrible year months of 2020 you, all those people actually i got a good laugh when when this guy took a, his truck onto a highway in alberta and he, and he went through all the the protesters without hurting them of course but it 
I actually I encourage everyone to to exercise their rights protesting free speech freedom of expression everything and it, it it's so funny that the cops and just here all well just well just here says oh we'll leave it up to the RCMP to do it's not we we can't do anything we don't we shouldn't have a say in anything he's just encouraging it that's him basically asking for them to do that yes it is and i think also the pickle that law enforcement is in is that they won't know if anybody has their backs mm -hmm. so you know how it is it um you know issues with the rcmp and with other law enforcement sometimes quite rightfully yeah. um and lots of times in circumstances where there are multiple sides um become flashpoints or become big public deals and uh, then there are consequences for law enforcement i think you you're exactly right the messages from the prime minister emboldened and encouraged that activity mm -hmm. and then probably people did want to turn to law enforcement and say well where the heck are you like applying the law equally here as you do and all these other things but then imagine if you're the law enforcement um you know local detachment or a frontline officer or something and thinking like well the prime minister's encouraging this i you know like I took a guy off the street in downtown wherever, you know, a month ago, mm -hmm. but and walking in the middle of the intersection or whatever. But, you know, the prime minister is sort of turning a blind eye here. Um, then you can see where there there's hesitancy, right? Yeah, there's so much confusion. But yeah, well, I, I, I really I, go ahead. Point, your point about like the what Bob was bringing up to too about the local indigenous communities and having brought um, brought uh, a witness to talk about that. I have to tell you, I had a similar experience that just blew my mind. Um, you remember the whole debate over the, the shipping ban, the tanker ban, C-48. Yeah. And um, I did, uh, I was sort of leading that fight before they even brought it in as legislation. And finally, we were able to um, uh, uh, connect with and, and um, help share the message from indigenous communities who are most locally impacted by that that legislation mm -hmm. and so can you imagine this there was a northern like a uh well he's actually elected mayor of his indigenous community um and uh like a chief of that community mm -hmm. and he's one of the communities most impacted by the ban and they not only were publicly opposing it, but launched a legal challenge against the Liberals on it. They agreed to come to Ottawa because they were not being heard, they were not being listened to, they were not being consulted, agreed to come to Ottawa and participate in a, a press conference with me, can you imagine, um, <laughs> announcing the start of their challenge on the legislation and how they were against it and articulating like the violation of their rights and title and the violation of their future economic opportunities and the reasons that they were opposed to the bill and the whole background on how they weren't consulted. They even took real differences with a variety of rationale for the bill and all that stuff. Now, Aiden, I thought, I don't know what you think, but I thought, okay, you know, we, so here we have me, like a north, you know, a rural, but northern Alberta. If some might, if some might want to say slightly redneck, hickish, you know, conservative member of parliament, I wouldn't necessarily take it, uh, you know, personally. Yeah, that's a compliment. Uh, she might fit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So here you have, and definitely like on the blue side of our party, and uh, you know, 
So here you have that kind of member of parliament partnering with the chief of an indigenous community from mm -hmm. a northern British Columbian coastal community mm -hmm. to stand together. Um, and, you know, he wasn't he wasn't supporting conservatives like that. And that wasn't the point that we were there. I was there to represent our position and to say, like, listen to this guy, what he's actually saying. Right. Mm -hmm. And he did that from his perspective on behalf of his community. And you would think that would be like pretty big news. Right. Yeah. And Aiden, honestly, like, I think it got coverage in a couple of the online political things mm -hmm. like but CBC wasn't there, like major networks didn't cover it. I mean, the only guy that covered it actually was David Aiken. I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and we tried to set up, like that didn't even involve us or conservatives, frankly, tried to set up media opportunities for uh, this guy and, and said, like, you really need to hear this other perspective because the whole narrative around this legislation is one that actually isn't reflected by the people who are most impacted. Yeah and just like crickets because mm. it didn't fit the narrative yeah i don't know if you have a couple of extra minutes i know you do have to get going soon yeah. but you do have a couple of extra minutes yeah. okay perfect yeah it, it's the definitely the matter because with with rosemary barton i i cannot stand her to be honest i can't stand her and that's the truth it her head's always underneath the rock when it's conservatives oh we'll just oh we'll go to Justin Trudeau's casual interview oh jolly good time oh we i love him he's uh, he's greatest uh, a joke that is it, coming back to like the the media narrative in this country it is so disgusting i i can't even i can't even go on a news site and just see so many news sites neglecting stuff that's happening with, within justin trudeau's government cbc ctv abc like it, it's so unbelievable the only the places that i get my news from i don't know if you would be the same but it is like post money and post millennial rebel news national post that's the stuff that that i rely on to, to hear the accountability that that's coming from just on justin trudeau's parts like i can't rely on cbc to give me that like they're yeah they're like I, they're in love with justin trudeau it's 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 simple as that i think many people feel that way you know that it, there's a declining confidence in um you know the veracity and the balance um that people expect from from media organizations uh, like and frankly in particular one that your tax dollars fund um and yeah i i i have observed that a very a very similar thing which i don't really i don't really understand because to me it's just a failure of you know what is supposed to be the function and role of media like they mm -hmm. a free media and a free democracy is supposed to be part and parcel of this whole like accountability transparency free democratic thing right yeah. and um so it shouldn't matter the partisanship of the people in government you you know uh, i think reporters should seek to hold them accountable not just not just sort of spin what they're being told and and be apologists or explainers even for their for their policies and you know what i have to confess before i got elected i didn't really i wasn't really sure the that the claims about media double standards and not treating conservatives equally was true mm -hmm. like i think i i, I kind of thought probably we were just saying that yeah um but my my real experience now is that those double standards um absolutely exist I mean, I can give you example. Actually, a thing Pierre and I did once, and he he just gave a gave a well gave a a, a very straightforward response that you would expect. Um, 
where we put forward a proactive pipeline plan. It was in one of the many times that, that TMX was on life support. And um, so I had worked really hard and consulted really hard to help develop this, like, here's a five-point plan of what conservatives would do. And we go out there and do that. And like the first and all the questions were hammering, you know, on our plan and details of our plan. And yet we're sitting here like, okay, but the, the liberals who actually are in government and have all the power and all the resources in the world uh, clearly don't have a plan. Like what they're doing literally actually isn't working. And we are putting forward right now five, like five prongs that address every aspect of what is holding up these pipelines. Mm-hmm. And you're just like teeing off on us. Like we're the ones to be held accountable, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't mind it overall because it allowed me to like get into the issues and really address things substantively, which I think is often actually missing in uh, media coverage and public discourse to, mm-hmm. to the detriment of everyone, frankly, um, in politics. But it's a very curious thing when you see that a lot. Or, yeah, I mean, I just watched an interview the other day with one of my colleagues and the reporter, you know, the colleague made a claim and the reporter said, well, we don't want to politicize, you know, whatever this is. And this colleague said, like, I'm not politicizing. I'm literally doing my job. Like, I'm, you know, I'm asking these questions that Canadians want to know of ministers of government policy. Like, but just because of a conservative and asking these questions, like, doesn't mean that, you know, the default dismissal is, oh, you're being partisan or you're don't politicize this issue. Like, mm-hmm. be, because if everybody takes that view, then we have no hope to keep politicians accountable, right? Mm-hmm. It's definitely something because I know from around here there is a lot of conservatives. I I kind of like a network almost like we we talk all over. There's Manitoba, Alberta, BC, you know, a couple from BC, but a lot of very peculiar policies you'd find. But it it's a matter of just numbering out where the liberals have gone. I can't even count. I can't even put a whole list together without everything slipping my mind. How many drops in the bucket? just Trudeau has put from his over the time of his six years of government i i cannot put a finger on how much he has destroyed canada and in canada in my opinion is one is the greatest country in the world and then you look on canada day oh canada needs to be better we're not a great country like like that's so disheartening and, and disrespectful and i so very much so disappointed to hear that and you know, what I really enjoy is it makes my days when I when I get to see someone like you or Pierre Polyev or Andrew Shearer, even Arrow Tool or Candace Bergen, you stand up and you just hammer the liberals on it. Like, that's what brings joy to my day. That's what I love seeing. <laughs> okay, well I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I definitely know without a shadow of a doubt that's what my people expect. Like I, yeah. you know, they have not elected me to be an appeaser or you know an apologist or um spend all my time figuring out how to prop up or get along with the liberals they want to see me go there speak truth to power hold people to account you know and um i think it would be fair to say that i'm i could be fair a fairly aggressive sort um but i think you know that the more i do that the more that's what lakeland wants to see like yeah. they're sometimes even more like go oh, kick butt even more you know <laughs> no, like, I, I, I sometimes think i'm, I'm at the limit you know <laughs> but yeah that's uh i know without a shadow of a doubt that's what my people expect yeah I, I always when you go up i always bring, brings tears to my eyes like i'm i'm laughing so much just uh, the liberal answer that I, that i see and i i just laugh to myself and it I really do enjoy watching you and other members in the house just hammer them on. 
I, I, I really very much appreciated this opportunity that we had today, and I, ho I very much hope that we could do this again and hopefully in person what meet one day as well. Yeah, I would look forward to that. Mm. That would be great. Yeah, sure. thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Tanner. Shannon. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Likewise. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye. Take care. And that was Shannon Subs, the MP for Lakeland. Make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup.